I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so I've been talking all about Throne of Eldraine. So the plan today is, I think today's gonna be the fi- I think today's gonna be the final episode. So we'll start with Outlaw's Merriment. Um, one red, white, white. So four mana total, one of which is red, two of which is white, it's an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one at random. Create a red and white creature token with those characteristics. Either you're making a 3-1 human warrior with trample and haste, or a human cl- a 2-1 human cleric with lifelink and haste. Or a 1-2 human rogue with haste, and when this creature enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to any target. Uh, so this is definitely a quirky card. Uh, it makes three different tokens, which is not something we do all that often. Um, but uh, I think the only other time we've done it is a card called Bestial Menace. Uh, and this one's even a little weirder in that um, it's the, uh, Bestial Menace makes 1, 1, 2, 2, and 3, 3. And this is making 1, 2, 2, 1, and 3, 1 with different abilities. Um, anyway, this card represents uh, Robin Hood's Merry Men. That's why it's Merry Mint. Haha. Um, for a while, by the way, this had a name change. And. Uh, my, my note was that I don't think you could... I don't think you're going to get Merry Men without a little bit of help. And so uh, the note was probably the word Merry needed to be in the title. Um, but they came up with the idea of merriment, which I thought was pretty cool. So I thought that definitely was um, pretty neat. Anyway, this is a quirky enchantment. I like it. It is definitely... Um, it is... It is a, a very, like, a, the idea that you produce it, and not only you produce it, but randomly, uh, it's not something we do all that often. So uh, I kind of like it. I think it's cool. Um, it definitely makes you sort of have to deal with things and that you don't always quite know what you're getting. And so every turn you get a, get a surprise. But uh, I don't know. I like it. I think it's kind of cool. Okay. One second. Hold on, hold on. Let me navigate through some traffic here. Safety first. Okay. Uh, and the next one we get is... Queen of Ice. So Queen of Ice costs two and a blue. So three mana total, one of which is blue. She's a two, three human noble wizard. She's a creature. Uh, whenever Queen of Ice deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature. It doesn't untap to controller's next untap step. Uh, and then she's an adventure card. So the, the adventure is Rage of Winter, one and a blue, sorcery, adventure. Tap target creature, it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Okay, so this is what we call the freeze ability. And it makes sense because she is uh, the Queen of Ice. So um, uh, probably the story is best, best known from Frozen, the Disney film. But uh, actually, it goes back uh, the Ice Princess, or Ice Queen? Snow Queen. Snow Queen. I think it was called the Snow Queen originally. Uh, is actually from um, Hans Christian Andersen, the same person that originally did The Little Mermaid. Uh, so this actually is a fairy tale from the same, the same era of the source material. Um, and we knew we wanted to do one, and it seemed pretty clear when we made her that she needed to freeze things. That made a lot of sense. And there's a, like I said, there's an ability in blue. Um, the first version of her was just a creature, and then I think when they were making, um, when they were making adventure cards, the idea that oh, the spell could be to freeze something, and then the creature freezes things as, as it interacts with them, we thought was kind of cool. Uh, and then I, I assume. Once she got that ability, they made her a 2-3 so she'd survive, you know, some number of, of attacks and stuff. But anyway, that's for the Queen of Ice. I, I think in our playtest, um, 
what was that? We had a, a what do we call her? We had some cutesy name. I'm blinking on her cutesy name. We did a cutesy name and play test. Um, but anyway, that is the Ice Queen. Okay, Questing Beast. Two green green, so four mana total, two of which is green. Uh, it's a 4-4 four, four legendary beast. Uh, it's a creature. Um, Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste. Questing Beast can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Combat damage that will be dealt by creatures you control can't be prevented. And whenever Questing Beast deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker that player controls. So let's walk through this. Okay, so Vigilance, Death Touch, and Haste. All green abilities. Green is secondary. Uh, I think in all of them. Um, but anyway, they're, they're all abilities that green can do. Uh, Questing Beast can't be blocked by creatures with power two. That's what we call Daunt. And green is primary in Daunt. Uh, combat damage that would be dealt by creatures you control can't be prevented. Um, so it, uh, this is not normally in green. Normally this is in red. Red's the one that more often says you can't prevent damage. But um, but this is by combat damage from creatures. Red usually puts it on spells. So, I, I, I mean, not something we do a lot in green, but I guess green can do that. Uh, whenever Questing Beast deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker that player controls. A little bit different. Um, we have what we call a Super Trample where even if you block it, it still does damage to the player. Um, so this is a version of that, I guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, Questing Beast is an actual creature from Arthurian Legend. Um, it's one of the ones that's not as well known. Um, when I went around and asked people. Uh, but we, we thought it was cool. We liked the idea of a legendary beast. Um, anyway, so we, we ended up making it. But this is one of those... Um, kind of like uh, the 100-handed one in Theros where if you know it, this is, this is pretty big if you know the story, but not as well known for people that sort of kind of know the story, but don't know, know it quite so well. Okay, next. Rankle, Master of Pranks. Two black black. Uh, he's a legendary creature. He's a 3-3 fairy rogue. He's got flying and he's got haste. One sec. Uh, okay. Whenever Rankle, Master of Pranks, deals combat damage to a player, choose any number. So there's three different abilities you can choose from. One is each player discards a card. Second is each player loses one life and draws a card. And third is each player sacrifices a creature. So the idea with, uh, with Rankle is chaos will consume, uh, but you get to control what chaos you want. So... Whenever you do something, it's affecting everybody. So, you know, if you make your opponent discard a card, you have to discard a card. If you make your opponent sacrifice a creature, you've got to sacrifice a creature. If you want to lose a life and draw a card, you've got to let your opponent lose a life and draw a card. So whatever you do, you're, you're letting everybody do. Um, so Rankle, I think, is sort of a riff on a Rumpelstiltskin. Um, we had made a bunch of different versions of Rumpelstiltskin. Um, and I think this card, my guess is that this card got designed not top-down from Rumpelstiltskin, but they were kind of making a cool fairy lord. And they realized, oh, this could make sense as Rumpelstiltskin. And so I think this ended up being our Rumpelstiltskin. Um, but like I said, <coughs> we, we had a Rumpelstiltskin for a while that messed around with, you know, turning straw into gold and uh, wanting your wanting to take your babies. We, we messed around that space. And um, I think this, this card was designed... Um, just as a cool card unto itself. And then we realized that the, fl the flavor made some sense. We put it there. So. Okay. Next. Is Return of Nature. 
So Return of Nature costs one and a green. Instant, choose one. Destroy target artifact. Destroy target enchantment. Exile target card from a graveyard. Okay, so this is uh, kind of like... I mean, it, it's a naturalized variant. One of the things that's happened over time is, as we've been trying to get better at answers, we've been letting white have access to disenchant every once in a while. And since green is slightly better at this than white, we've been trying to say, okay, well, if we let green have disenchant, we can up it a little bit, and we can give green a little bit more for its naturalized. So the idea here in Return to Nature is, it's naturalized, but you get one extra option, you know, one more mode. You can destroy an artifact, destroy an enchantment, or you can exile target card from a graveyard. And um, there's enough shenanigans going on that we, we like the idea. We felt it was not a bad idea to give green a little access to remove it. Um, normally, black is primary in removing cards from graveyards. Green is secondary. Uh, white gets to do a little bit. Um, but uh, anyway, and, and then uh, we ended up tying it to... Um, turning the pumpkin, uh, the carriage back into pumpkin. In fact, there's two different cards that kind of references that. Uh, I think each independently felt like they were fun. Um, but the idea here is, if that's a, if the enchanted carriage happens because the spell is put upon it, well, if you get rid of the spell, ah, it just goes back to being a pumpkin was the idea. So I thought that was uh, cool. Okay, next. Uh, Revenge of Ravens. Okay, so three and a black. So four mana total, one of which is black, is an enchantment. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. Okay, so at the end of Cinderella, I think it is, um, in, the, in the Grimm's fairy tale version, I believe uh, ravens come and peck out the eyes of the stepsisters. I think the stepmothers put in a barrel full of nails and rolled down a hill. But I, I believe the stepsisters have their eyes pecked up. Grim, yeah, if you've never read Grimm's fairy tales, they are grim. It's where the word grim comes from, I believe. We say something is grim. I think it comes from Grimm's fairy tale. So, uh, yeah, kind of grim. Uh, this We had a card called uh, pe- uh, Eyes Pecked Up by Birds or something for quite a while. Um, I think we, we changed a slightly uh, less graphic name. But... Um, yeah, we had this card pretty early on. We knew we were doing Grim, and I think we also had Barrelful of Nails as a card for a while. Anyway, um, one of the issues that happened when we first, when I when I was pitching doing Fairy Tales, is a concern from up above that they're juvenile in nature. Because if you think about Fairy Tales, you think of, of Disney, you think of Fairy Tale books. That there's a lot of a lot of Fairy Tales are delivered to kids, and so it's yes, it's, it, it is a, a very sanitized version of it. But um, fairy tales are so much part of our culture that you do see, like, for example, Once Upon a Time or Grimm are both TV shows. Uh, and then there's lots of movies. The, the idea of dark fairy tales is used just as much. And so one of the things when there was concern about how that the world might feel you know, too bright, one of the things I said is, look, if you look at the source material, you know, if you, if you look at what people have done with fairy tales, look, you can go as light and as bright as you want, but you also can go as dark and creepy as you want. There are a lot of examples of pretty creepy fairy tale stuff out there. So it is not as if you can't um, do some darker stuff. So we specifically early on made stuff like, uh, you know, pecked out, pecked out by birds and stuff just because we were trying to say, look, yeah, you want to have some gruesome kill spells? You, you can do that. You've got to figure out 
what's right for the world in the set. But, you know, it, it is not as if the, the, the source material prevents you from doing darker stuff. Okay, next, Robber of the Rich. One in a red. It's a 2-2 human archer rogue, so it's a creature. It has reach and haste. Whenever Robber of the Rich attacks, if defending player has more cards in hand than you, exile the top card of their library. During any turn you attack with a rogue, you may cast that card, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. Okay, a bunch of things going on. First off, this is top-down Robin Hood, for those that didn't figure this out. Um, the reason it has reach is because he's an archer. Uh, and in the picture, while he's not shown... I don't think he's shown firing an arrow. You can see he's carrying a cross... Uh, not crossbow. He's carrying a bow. Um, and anyway, we tend to use reach on archers. Red is, by the way, secondary in reach. Uh, we don't do reach tons. So being secondary in reach is not a lot. But red is secondary in reach. So that's something red can do. Um, I think we, it has haste cause, to communicate the idea that he's fast. Robin Hood's quick. Quick with the bow. Um... And the idea here is, how do you get Robin Hood? What do you do? And the idea is, well, I rob from the rich to give to the poor. In this case, the rich is you, who has more cards than me. And the poor is me, who has less cards. Um, and the idea that's cool about this is, so he essentially does, sort of does, um, what we call um, impulsive draw. Except, um, if you're attacking with him, you can get it, and then that turn you can cast it. But... It's not just that turn. Once he's stolen something, on any turn that you you attack with a rogue, he's a rogue, by the way, um, you can do this, but not just him. And rather than just say card name, whenever you attack with card name, we open it up to say rogue. That way, now the deck can be you know woven into a rogue-themed deck. Um, we do that sometimes where we, we could do the narrow thing or do the slightly broader thing, and the slightly broader thing just opens the card up a little bit. So saying rogue just opened up the card a little bit and lets you play with other rogues. Uh, you know, just makes a little bit of rogue tribal where there wasn't any. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of uh, nice to do. Okay. Next. Ba -ba -ba. Okay, one second. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba. Okay. Next is... Next is what? Oh, the Seven Dwarves. Okay, next is the Seven Dwarves. Okay, so Seven Dwarves costs one and a red. It's a dwarf, a 2-2 dwarf. It's a creature. Seven Dwarves gets plus one, plus one for each other creature named Seven Dwarves you control. A deck can have up to seven cards named Seven Dwarves. Okay. Um, so we knew we wanted to do the Seven Dwarves. So here, here's how the story goes. When I first came up with the idea of the doing the fairy tale set, and I got the green light, I'm like, okay, here's an awesome idea. What if the set had exactly seven dwarves? And so I said that to uh, Kelly, Kelly Diggs, who was in charge of doing the creative stuff. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a, that's a horrible idea. Um, a, seven cards, that's a lot of cards. Um, B, trying to maintain an exact number of creatures, that's just putting a weird constraint on it for a very... Like, yeah, it's a funny joke, but wow, that's, there's, a, there's a lot of time and energy that has to go into making that joke work. So instead of trying to do seven different cards, none of which really refer to uh, Snow White, how about we make one card that refers to the seven dwarves? And I said, oh, okay, so how do I do that? 
Um, and I was really torn for a little. How do you, how do you exactly? And then it dawned on me that if I wanted you to have seven dwarves rather than have seven unique dwarves, what if the card let you have seven dwarves? Well, how would you get seven dwarves? And I, I toyed around with the idea that it made tokens. Like, uh, it was a dwarf that enters with six other dwarves, you know. Um, I, I, I toyed with that. I just a spell that made seven dwarf counters. And, um, but we had a lot of cards, like the three bears and stuff, that were making numerous counters. And also making seven to something is a little bit much. Um, it'd be really expensive to make seven one ones, for example. Um, and... Anyway, a lot of different things. It, it wasn't like that wasn't quite working out. So then I toyed with the idea of what if I could get seven of the same card out. Now, obviously, we have limits of four. But then it dawned on me like we do stuff. Uh, R and D calls relentless, based on relentless rats. Where oh, you can have as many as you want in your deck. And it dawned on me. Well, what if I didn't let you have as many as you want? What if I said you can have, you can have up to seven? Where I get to put the word seven on the card. You can have up to seven of these. Uh, and I thought that was a pretty cool way to communicate, oh, oh, it's the seven dwarfs. So you can have up to seven of them. I thought that was a, uh, a clever way to sort of lock it and, and give you the opportunity to get seven. Okay, so once we figured that out, that was the first thing we figured out. Then it's like, okay, well, you want to have multiple of these out at once. Um, and so we tried a bunch of different things. Mostly what we tried are cards in which it cared about the other seven dwarves out. So the goal is to get all the seven dwarves out. Um, in the end, after trying lots of different things, we fell back to the granddaddy of this effect, uh, Plague Rats. Now, I will note that Plague Rats doesn't technically have the relentless ability. You can't play as many Plague Rats as you want. But when Richard Garfield made the game, made Alpha, made original Magic, um, there was no deck limit. So Plague Rat was designed to be something you'd put a lot of in your deck. Even though it didn't say you could, the game didn't restrict you at the time. So Richard's intent had always been that you could play as many Plague Rats as you wanted. And the reason we made Relentless Rats, we put that line on it, was we were just trying to make Plague Rats as kind of they were envisioned. Um, so I tried to do a lot of different versions of Plague Rat. I, I, I did a lot of riffs on Plague Rat. And in the end, what we realized was, you know what? Plague Rat is good. Let's just make Plague Rat. So we ended up making... Uh, I think for a while we were joking we called this Plague Dwarf. Uh, I mean, it was always probably called Seven Dwarfs, but we, uh, our playtest name for it well, was Plague Dwarf. Um, and the idea was um, it works just like Plague Rats, uh, but one change. Plague Rats cost, um, I think it was two and a black for a 1-1, one, one, and we made this one and a red for a 2-2. Two, two. So creatures have gotten a little bit better since Alpha. Um, some people have asked... Uh, why we didn't make it a 1-1 one, one, so when all seven are out, they were all 7-7s. Seven, uh, we just wanted to make the better, more playable card. The problem was, if you make it a 1-1, one, one, it might not be worth putting in your deck. And um, it, Sometimes people are like, oh, this would be clever. And the answer is, well, yeah, but then it wouldn't be as good a card. People might not play it. So we wanted to make sure people played it. So the 2-mana two 2-2 two, two version just was better than... Um, we couldn't make a 1-drop one 1-1. One, one. That would be too good. And a 2-drop one, one, you know, a 2-drop one, 1-1, one, yeah. So, anyway, we ended up with a two-drop tutu. Uh, the other question I get about this is, why wasn't there seven pieces of art? That would be so awesome. Um, so, one of the things to keep in mind when you're trying to do something is, we like to do things that surprise and delight the audience. We like to do things like, oh, that, that, that tickles me. And um, one of the things that is easy to forget is sometimes what sounds like a great idea in a vacuum is actually a lot more complicated. For example... 
the way we do alternate art is we commission extra art, and then on a sheet, like on the common sheet, um, we actually, the cards show up more than once on the common sheet. Um, and so if, let's say, for example, I mean, it can vary how we do our commons, but there might be three, four copies or so of a single card, but there's not seven. So the problem is, in order to do seven, I mean, not only do we have to order seven arts, which we, we can do, that, that, that actually was, is a lower hurdle, um, but it requires us to completely redo the sheets. Uh, and possibly to get seven pieces of art, one of two things would have to be true. Either the dwarves just show up at a higher rarity than other cards that are common, or it requires extra sheets. And extra sheets, especially on a product that's being printed in all 11 languages, it's super pricey. Um, so the idea is, okay, well, if we want to do this, this gimmick, which, yeah, we think would be fun, we have to commission six extra pieces of art. We have to change how we do collation. We, it might require us either printing extra sheets or it might require us changing sort of the rarity of, of Seven Dwarves so it shows up more often than a normal common and some other commons that lessens how often they show up. Like, is, is the joke, you know, is it worth that? And the answer is like, oh, it's a lot of stuff. Eh, no, it's not worth that. So we made sure the art itself had seven dwarves in it, and we didn't do that. But um, I know a lot of times when people come up with ideas, it's sort of like, in a vacuum, this sounds fun. Yeah, it does in a vacuum, but we have to actually figure out whether it'll work not in a vacuum, but through actually making the product. So um, that is uh, what it... That is what, what went on there. Okay, so next. Um, Sorcerer's Broom. So Sorcerer's Broom uh, costs two generic mana. Uh, it's a 2-1 artifact creature. It's a spirit. Whenever you sacrifice another permanent, you may pay three. If you do, create a token that's a copy of Sorcerer's Broom. Um, so the idea here was we liked the idea of a broom that just up replicating to make more and more and more of them. Uh, perhaps you might uh, get some idea of our inspiration. Um, but Nemo, they, they thought it was fun, and the idea of the broom just kind of gets out of control. And it allows you to build a different kind of deck than you might naturally think about, which is something in which sacrifice matters. Um, so, you know, there's just, there, there's some sacrifice themes in, in the set. And so it's kind of fun to say, oh, well, one of the ways you can use your sacrifices as you're getting other abilities off it, you can keep replicating this. And notice, um, every time you sacrifice, you get to make another one. So you can sort of build up this army of brooms that we, we thought was pretty funny. We, we liked the army of brooms. Okay. Okay, next. Spinning wheel. Okay, spinning wheel costs three generic mana. It's an artifact. It is tap, add one man of any color, or five and tap, tap target creature. Okay, so Spinning Wheel uh, is a very important card because it's the card where I first realized something really important about the set. So what we had done is we had gone through all these different fairy tales that we had made, and we'd written down, like, we, literally we went through the stories and said, Okay, okay, in this story, what's, what goes on? And every time we could have a possible card, we'd write it down. So, so let's say I was doing Sleeping Beauty. You know, I, I would start, I, I could be like, um, you know, invitation to a, 
uh, invitation to a christening or whatever, you know, invitation, um, you know, or uh, not invited or mad, mad at the at the slight, or um, cur- you know, uh, curse or fairies help or you know, banished to the woods or spinning wheel because obviously she's picturing the spinning wheel. So. You know, you want to think of all the different things that go on in, in the story of uh, whatever, in this case, Sleeping Beauty, and make a giant list of all the different things that you can do. Um, I, you know, obviously, we did sleep, we did charm spell, we did a bunch of different things. Um, anyway, or charm sleep. Um, one of the items from Cinderella was the um, spinning wheel. And because, for those who know the story, she... On her 16th birthday, she pricks her finger on the spinning wheel, and it puts everybody... To, well, actually, it's supposed to kill her, uh, thanks to the help of one of the fairies. Instead, instead of it killing her, it'll put her in a deep sleep, uh, as well as the rest of the, the kingdom into a deep sleep. Um, so anyway, I wanted to do spinning wheel, but when I was making spinning wheel, it dawned on me, like, oh, wait, there's another spinning wheel. Uh, in, the, in Rumpelstiltskin, uh, he sews... Uh, not sews. He spins straw into gold. And so he also uses a spinning wheel. And so I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? Which spinning wheel am I making? And I'm making the Sleeping Beauty um, the Sleeping Beauty spinning wheel that puts you to sleep, or the Rumpelstiltskin spinning wheel that makes gold. Uh, and then I decided, it made me realize, oh, let's do both. I mean, for the first time, I realized the overlap between fairy tales. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, fairy tales do reuse a lot of the same components. So... What I decided was, well, let's make one that does both. So it has two abilities. Um, so the first ability uh, originally was you tapped it to make a, a gold counter. And a gold counter could be exchanged for any color mana. Um, we've done gold counters before. So the idea is it literally makes gold. Or you can tap a creature with it. Uh, I think it used to cost less to tap the creature. I think the early version cost like two or three to tap a creature. Um, or you can tap it to get gold. Um, when they ended up making food counters, they decided to get rid of gold counters, and so gold went away, and so this turned into mana production. Once again, the whole reason gold... In our... In, in magic's term, mana is sort of the money you spend to cast spells, so whenever we want money references, we tend to use mana. So, okay, well, if we're not going to do gold, let's just produce mana. You know, he, it, it's producing stuff that you can cast your spells with. That was always the intent. Uh, and then, through playtest, we learned that the tapping ability was pretty strong, so we ended up making it uh, cost five, just because this card is sort of costed for limited. Um, and in limited, it's a pretty good card. So, um, But anyway, the spinning wheel is so important because it really got my mindset on the idea of overlap. That, that one of the things that made fairy tales so much different than the horror stories of Innistrad was that the, the, the elements of the stories you're telling get repeated a lot. Um, there's not, I mean, horror is a little repeating and the monsters repeat, but the, the, the story elements don't repeat quite as much as they do in fairy tales. And it really got me down the path of one of the ways for us to sort of care about fairy tales in a different way, to make the top-down different, is to make this mix-and-match model where you really got to sort of, you know, you could play the story tale out, the fairy tale out as you know it, or you can mix and match stuff and have stories that are your own sort of story. Okay, next, Steel Claw Lance. Black and a red. It's an artifact equipment. Uh, equip creature gets plus two, plus two. You can equip knight for one generic mana, or you can equip for three. So the idea here is it's lance. It is better with knights. Knights are better with a lance. Uh, and uh, technology we've played around with, I think we did with pirates. Um, the idea is this thing... Oh, we did with pirates. 
Did we do the pirates? Uh, I think we did with pirates. Anyway, um, the idea that equipment is something that is better in the hands of a certain creature type, in this case, oh, knights are better with a lance, then we make it cheaper to equip. Um, and the nice thing about this is you can play this, anybody can use it. It's costed as if it was for a generic creature, but then we give you an extra special bonus which says, hey, if you're playing knights, if you're not playing knights, maybe you want to play some knights, and just kind of encourages you to play knights. Um, and we kind of knew we had to have a lance. I mean, you can't do a, a kingdom without a lance with knights. Okay. We are almost done here. We're, I'm, uh, I believe we're going to finish. Okay. Next. One second. Next is Tempting Witch. Okay, Tempting Witch is two and a black. It's three mana total, one of which is black. It's a two, it's a one, three um, human warlock. That's a creature. Uh, when Tempting Witch enters the battlefield, create a food token. Uh, so a food token is an artifact token that you can spend two and tap, sack, gain three life. Uh, and two, tap, sacrifice a food, target player loses three life. Okay, there's a lot going on here. So first off, we're doing the witch from Snow White. She offers an apple. Uh, but the apple is a poisonous apple that puts Snow White to sleep. So she's offering food, but unlike most food, she can make the food do bad things. So if you have the Tempting Witch, you got to be careful because she can use food and harm somebody. Normally food helps somebody, but, be, but the, the witch can tempt you and, and she can harm you with the apple. Um, so we thought that was kind of cool. Um, we had a different version of her before food existed, but once food existed, the idea of her luring you with the apple felt pretty cool. Also, if you notice the art, it has that, uh, one of the things that's fun is to sort of do riff on things, and that creepy witch with the little baby hand, anyway, it's very, very creepy. Um, oh, the other thing about this card, it's a warlock. So one of the things we've been talking about doing forever uh, is we so far have five, I'm sorry, we have four spellcaster types. Uh, we have cleric centered in white, we have wizard centered in blue, we have um, Shaman centered in red, and we have Druid centered in green. We've been wanting to have one centered in black for a long time. Um, and we just said, finally, we are in a set where there just was a lot of things where we can make use of that. Uh, the big question is whether it be Witch or Warlock. Those were the two choices available. Um, the reason we end up going with Warlock is A, Warlock's become very, very popular in video games. And so it just... Um, there's a familiarity with it that a lot of people have, especially younger people. Um, and the second thing is that there are some real-world religions that call the people witches. And so um, while we decided that we don't mind witch in a name, where we're showing the art and stuff, um, the idea on a creature type, where a lot of times it gets isolated and you don't have the, the direct correlation, um, we decided that that we would end up using warlock and not use witch. Um, we did go back and forth and... I, I do know that the source material we're playing with, which is fairy tales, has more witch, witches by name, obviously, than warlocks. Um, but we just decided that we needed to make the right decision overall and not necessarily for this set in a vacuum. That, that's why. I, I think if we were... If there were, were there other factors going on, and, and like I said, there were other factors. Um, but anyway, we introduced it. You will see us using it more. I don't know how much we're going back and changing old things. I mean... I think there was one card with Warlock on his name. That'll probably turn into a Warlock. But um, I, I'm not sure how much we're going to do. But moving forward, we're definitely going to be doing that.
Okay, next, the Cauldron of Eternity. Ten black, black. So 12 mana total, two which is black. Legendary artifact. This spell costs two less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Whenever a creature you control dies, put it on the bottom of the owner's library. Two, two and a black, tap. Pay two life. Return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only any time you can cast a sorcery. So this is our version. So there's five legendary artifacts that are tied to the courts. This is the black one. This is our version of the Holy Grail. And our version of the Holy Grail raises you from the dead. Uh, black's a court all about persistence. So raising you from the dead, how do you get more persistent than not dying? Um, and one of the things that runs through all of these is that they cost less based on some criteria. It varies from thing to thing. This one costs less depending on how many dead things you have. Um, but anyway, uh, the Cauldron of Eternity. Okay, next. The Circle of Loyalty. Okay, so this is the white one. Four white, white, six mana total, two which is white, legendary artifact. The spell costs one less for each knight you control. Uh, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, create a two-two white knight uh, creature token with vigilance. And three and a white in tap, create a two-two knight creature token with vigilance. So this is the round table. Um... I admit that this, this is one of the ones that was taken a step away. The idea is it's the circle that you walk through to prove that you are loyal. Um, it's magical. It's circular. Uh, it's tied to knights. Uh, I do know that from talking to people on my blog, not everybody quite got that this was our take on the round table. I admit it's extracted a little bit. But anyway, this is the take on the round table. Um, white, cares about, white court cares about loyalty. Uh, and this was made super knight-focused because it was a round table, and so white was one of the knight tribal cards, and we really wanted one of these cards to be very knight-focused. The Great Henge, seven green-green, so nine mana total, two of which is green. This is the green court. Legendary artifact. The spell costs X less to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Tap, add green-green. You gain two life. Um, And whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on it and draw a card. Okay, so the the henge uh, is the green court. They care about strength. So this is all about caring about how big a creature you have. It gets cheaper based on how big your creatures are. Um, and then it lets you cast things and it lets you make creatures um, extra big when they come into play. Uh, and it also helps you, helps you draw cards. Okay, the magic mirror. This is the blue court. Six blue, blue, blue. So nine mana total. Three which is blue. Legendary artifact. The spell costs one less to cast for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. You have no maximum hand size. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a knowledge counter on the magic mirror, then draw a card for each knowledge counter on the magic mirror. So the magic mirror uh, is in the blue court. Blue court is all about knowledge. Knowledge is very much tied. Card drawing is a big part of that. And so the idea with magic mirror is I just learn more. The the longer the magic mirror is around, the more I have it. Um, uh, We we were looking at magical items. Magic Mirror is a pretty big one from Fairy Tales. It's all about learning things. It made a lot of sense in the Blue Court. Um, We made our Magic Mirror humongous, um, but it is a pretty cool giant thing. Um, Notice that the fifth of these was Embercleave. I already talked about. Um, All the rest had the in it, and Embercleave did not. But uh, those are the cycle. So uh, the red one was Courage, and so it gets gets Excalibur, basically. Um... There was a point in time where all these items, you went on quest. We had a mechanic called Quest for a while, where it would give you, it was an enchantment, it gave you three different things you had to do. Uh, as you did them, you would mark them off with counters, and then when you did all three of them, you could trade it in 
either for a spell effect that was on the card or in the case of the, uh, the legendary items, you could trade it in for the legendary item. And those were sort of elaborate tokens that couldn't go in your deck. The only way to get them was to do the quest to go get them. Um, but when we got rid of quests, we liked what, how a lot of the artifacts worked. So we ended up turning them into artifact, from artifact tokens into actual artifacts and then added in the, the thing to reduce their mana cost because obviously they didn't have a mana cost when you, had, you got them on quests. The Royal Scions, one blue-red, legendary planeswalker, Will Rowan. So it's Will and Rowan. It's Will first because I think Will's in the left of the art. Uh, plus one, draw a card, then discard a card. Plus one, target creature gets plus two, plus O, oh, and gains first strike and trample until end of turn. Minus eight, draw four cards when you do. The Royal Scions deals, deals damage to any target equal to the number of cards in your hand. Uh, oh, by the way, it was three banner total, uh, loyalty five. You got five loyalty when it comes out. And you got two pluses and one minus. Um, so you can loot. That's a very blue effect. Although red also has rummage. Uh, you can make a creature get plus two plus oh, first strike and trample to end of turn. Uh, that is, uh, leans a little more toward the red side of things. Um, and then draw four cards when you do deal damage. That's combining blue and red, which is blue draws you the cards, red deals damage you to a card in your hand, but they're tied together because um, the more cards in your hand, the more damage it does. And so uh, this is nice and balances sort of the blue and the redness of the card since it's both Will and Rowan. Uh, people have been asking forever for us to do two Planeswalkers on one card. We did contemplate it during the, uh, War of the Spark when we were trying to get a lot of Planeswalkers in the set before we decided just to have so many Planeswalkers in the set. Back when I thought like we only get eight Planeswalkers, I'm like, oh, well, what if all of them were combinations? Then I have 16 characters. But we, when we ended up putting all the, the things into the set, uh, we realized we didn't need to combine them. So since these guys share a spark, it seemed like the right place to do it. Okay, Trail of Crumbs, one in a green enchantment. When Trail of Crumbs enters the battlefield, create a food token. Whenever you sacrifice a food, you may pay one. If you do, look at the top two cards of your library. You may reveal a permanent card from among them and put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Uh, the idea here is uh, Hansel and Gretel puts the crumbs so they can find their way. We tied it to food. Good bread is crumbs. Uh, it also helps you find things like the gingerbread house, which is an item made of food. Uh, and so it lets green do something which is both create food and then use food in a different way than normal. In this case, allowing you access to look at cards. Trapped in the tower, one in a white, enchantment aura. Enchant creature without flying. Enchanted creature can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So this is our rest. We decided to do a Rapunzel uh, reference here. So uh, Rapunzel's trapped in a tower and can't go anywhere. So the way we arrest you is we put you in a tower. Um, originally, this card said can't attack or block creatures without flying. Um, but what we found was, because the idea was, oh, you can block flyers, you're up in a tower. Uh, but we found that people just forgot. People treated it like it was an arrest, that you couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, you would attack with a flyer, and ha-ha, the creature blocked, and you didn't expect it. Uh, so we ended up changing it to be enchant creature with flying. One of the cool things about this, by the way, is if you want to get out of the tower, if you temporarily grant your creature flying, uh, it will make the, the enchantment fall off. So if, you want, if someone's trapped in the tower, and you can make them fly, they can fly out of the tower, and then they're out of the tower. Okay, true love's kiss. Two white, white instant, so four mana total, uh, two of which are white. Exile, target, artifact, or enchantment, draw a card. Okay, so we knew we wanted a True Love's Kiss. We knew True Love's Kiss needed to wake you from a sleep spell. Uh, we ended up making um, uh, Claustrophobia into our sleep spell, so we knew that we needed to destroy an enchantment. That way we would wake you up from the sleep spell. But then we made Glass Casket, and Glass Casket ended up being an artifact and not an enchantment. 
but we also wanted to wake you up from, you know, if Snow White's asleep, you got uh, True Love's Kiss got to wake her up too. So we said, okay, we'll just make it um, artifact or enchantment. We'll just make it uh, sort of a disenchant. Um, I think it ended up being exile just to make it feel a little bit different. Uh, and then I think you gained life originally in the first version, uh, but it wasn't quite, they wanted to make it a little bit better. So they ended up making it draw, made, made it a cantrip instead. Um, so um, anyway, and we knew we wanted True Love's Kiss to, to, to really make sense. Um, True Love's Kiss, the reason it's not in red, uh, people always talk about how we say red's the color of emotion. And finally you showed something about passion. Why wasn't it red? The reason was it needed to wake you up from the charm sleep spell. That was an enchantment. Red specifically can't enjoy enchantments. So it, red just didn't let us to, need to do functionally what the card needed to do. Uh, and so sadly it couldn't be red. In a vacuum, yes, two love's kiss could clearly be red. Just we needed to mechanically do something that red could not mechanically do. So unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to do that. Okay. Weapon rack. So weapon rack is an artifact that costs four generic mana. Uh, weapon Rack enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters. Tap, move a plus one plus one counter from Weapon Rack onto target creature. Activate this ability only when you can cast a sorcery. Um, it's funny, a lot of people ask me if this was inspired by serrated arrows. Because in a lot of ways, this isn't a negative serrated arrows. Um, and the interesting thing is, it is, and it could have been, but it wasn't. Um, I think we were trying to make plus one plus one counters matter in a couple different ways. Uh, and we just liked the idea. Oh, I know. We were. We also were trying to make something that felt. felt we made a list of things that were very um, Arthurian, and the idea of having a whole bunch of weapons that you could distribute. Anyway, so we ended up without. Without. I mean, obviously, looking back, yes, it's it's a, a reverse serrated arrows. We only re feel, realized that after the fact, which is kind of funny. Which, I mean, that very well could have been inspiration. Just ironically, was not. Okay. So next. Wicked Guardian. So Wicked Guardian costs three and a black, uh, four two human noble. It's a creature. When Wicked Guardian enters the battlefield, you may have to deal two damage to another creature you control if you do draw a card. Uh, the original version of this uh, in playtest was called uh, Evil Stepmother, uh, and originally it was like a shade that you could spend mana to give it plus two plus two, but another creature you controlled got minus two minus two. So the idea is it could get powerful, but at the cost of other creatures you had. Um, I think that ended up being a little too good, and so they ended up making it a one-shot rather than repeatable. Um, but anyway, I, I like the idea that this card really, like, benefits off you having to harm other things. Wicked Wolf, two green-green. Uh, so four mana total, two which is green. It's a 3-3 three, three wolf it's a creature. When Wicked Wolf enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. Sacrifice of food, put a plus one counter on Wicked Wolf. It gains indestructible to end of turn, tap it. So this also goes into the food deck. Uh, the wicked wolf, the big bad, this is the big bad wolf. Big bad wolf likes food. He wanted to eat the pigs. He wanted to get, uh, um, sleeping, not sleeping beauty, uh, little red riding hood and her basket of goodies, as well as eat little red riding hood and her grandmother. So anyway, he likes to eat. Um, so the idea is food matters in the green black deck. So this is a different way to care about food. Notice he doesn't generate food. He only uses food. I think he's one of the only cards that only uses food. He doesn't generate food. Um, but anyway, the idea is he's a big bad wolf. He can get bigger. And um, he, by eating, he eats the food and gets bigger. And he can fight. If you, you can put the da damage on the stack for him to fight, then eat the food. So he's bigger at the time you're going to fight. And, and indestructible, of course. Um, originally, when I first made this card, he entered the battlefield. You exiled the creature with a power less than his power until he went away. 
So if you remember the mechanical color pie article where I talked about green having the banisher priest effect, that was what I was thinking of. I really liked I really liked that on the wolf. I thought it was defendable of green doing secondary banisher priest. Uh, we had a big conversation in the console colors. Um, not enough people agreed with me, so we ended up not doing that. But that is why I I, I was so convinced we were going to make that card. I put that in the mechanical color pie article. Uh, it ended up not coming to fruition. But for those wondering, when I said Banisher Priest was in the colors, yet it never showed up, that is why. How are we doing? I'm at work, but I'm so far, I'm going to finish real quick. Wishful Merfolk, one in a blue, 3 2 Merfolk, Defender, one in a blue. Wishful Merfolk loses Defender and becomes a human until end of turn. Um, this is Little Mermaid. This card was made early on. I don't think it changed much. One of the funny things about it is this card was made before we had the non-human matters card. And so it's kind of cute in the way where it's a non-human but can become a human. So you have to be careful when you're doing non-human effects, whether it's a human or not, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Witch's Cottage. Land, swamp, tap to add black. Witch's Cottage enters the battlefield, tap unless you control three or more swamps. When Witch's Cottage enters the battlefield, you may put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. Um, th this was another of our common cycle that uh, common, la common lands are tapped for color mana, but required enough of them to come untapped. Um, these are all tied. The Witch's Cottage, we were referencing. Um, uh, there's a bunch of different... Having a cottage for the witch shows up in a bunch of different fairy tales. Uh, the idea here is the witch can bring back things from the dead. Made a lot of sense. Um, Witch's Oven, one artifact. Uh, artifact costs one generic mana. Tap, sacrifice a creature, create a food token. If the sacrifice creature's toughness was four or greater, create two food tokens instead. Um, so the idea of um, Witch's Oven was... Um, it's, a witch's, it's the oven from uh, Hansel and Gretel. They push her into the oven. Uh, and originally, it made you... It, it let you... You could, kill, you could kill a creature with it, but it seemed a little too gruesome. I, I don't know this one's less gruesome. But anyway, so once we had food, the idea that you could cook things in it, uh, that you could cook creatures and make them into food, um, we thought was a, a little on the gory side. But uh, like I said, there's, there's some dark stuff here. Okay, and then... My final card, and then I will be done. Wolf's Quarry. Four green green, so four, uh, six mana total, two which is green. Sorcery. Create three one one green boar creature tokens when, when this creature dies, create a food. So the idea is we wanted to make the three little pigs. Uh, pigs are boars in magic, much like dogs or hounds. Um, and once, once the three bears... We, we went around a lot because we wanted to make three bears. We wanted to make three billy goats gruff. We wanted to make three pigs. Uh, in the end... Um, we ended up putting the bears on uh, Flax Intruder, and then we, this allowed us to do this one separately, um, and then we, we made the, the goats be you give your opponent. So we, we shifted them up a little bit. In the end, like the clean version, then made three, three, it makes three little pigs, um, and then we added the food thing that when they die, you get food out of them. So the idea is, um, yeah, you get little one-ones, but a little, little one-ones that you get to trade in to become food, um, and that made them feel a little bit different. Um, the other thing is, because we don't have talking animals, we couldn't really play up anything about the pigs that had giving them, like... In our version of the story, the, the wolf just chases them because the wolf wants to eat them. There's no building houses or anything. Um, that, so, anyway, we like the idea of having three little pigs, referencing three little pigs, without referencing kind of the pigs talking part of the story, since we didn't have talking animals. Woo! Okay, guys. Well, in four podcasts, that is all the Throne of Eldraine stories. I hope you guys enjoyed these podcasts. It was fun. I, I had a lot of fun making the set. A lot of fun talking about the set. So you guys hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. But I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. 
So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.